Yeah, you know, I lied about it for a long time, covered it up. You know, doping was at the highest level of cycling, at the Tour de France level. It was very prevalent. And, uh, you know, I got caught and lied about it for a long time. Yeah, I was like I was living in my own personal prison with all my lies. And, you know, I thought I was doing it for noble causes. You know, I wanted to protect all my old teammates. I wanted to protect myself. I wanted to protect the sport of cycling. But little did I know, was, you know, that was the worst thing I could have done. Hello and welcome to A New Angle. I'm your host, Justin Angle, Associate Professor of Marketing here at the University of Montana College of Business. This podcast is my chance to talk with innovative thinkers, both savvy vets and up-and-coming stars in the Montana business ecosystem. My goal with these conversations is to dig deep into how these people think, to understand how they view the world and conceptualize the opportunities it presents. Let's go. Hello and welcome to A New Angle. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed our promo or our interview with Bryce Ward and are coming back for more, thank you. Thank you for your dedication. We appreciate the support. We're trying to grow this thing. And if you're new to the show, we are excited to have you. So please spread the word. Help us uh, grow this audience. Um, today was a really interesting conversation to me, sort of special and emotional and, uh, and complicated at the same time. I got the chance to catch up with Tyler Hamilton. Uh, many of you might recognize that name. Um, Tyler is a retired professional cyclist, a professional cyclist at the highest level, Olympic gold medalist. Uh, he rode on three tours to France with uh, Lance Armstrong during his reign of terror over there and has won uh, numerous other races and competed at the highest level. But that all came crashing down starting in uh, late 2004 when he, um, he was uh, popped for doping positive uh, test for blood doping. And he had a long fight with that. But eventually, he was one of the first guys to come out and uh, tell the truth. And uh, in many ways, uh, his truth is, is to me, uh, the most transparent of all those stories. He wrote an excellent book in 2011 called The Secret Race. I encourage you to check it out. He's told his story on 60 Minutes. Uh, there was a great profile of him by Graham Benzinger that's available on YouTube. I encourage you to look at that. And his story about that whole part of his life and uh, the realities of professional cycling, that's been well told elsewhere. So in this conversation, we tried to take a different approach. I tried to think about um, what else from Tyler might be interesting. And we tried to get in, how do you go about making change in your life? Because that's essentially what he's trying to do. How do you go about making change in your life? And he is in the process of doing that. And the second part of that question is, why is Missoula a particularly um, good place for somebody to do that? It was a fun conversation. I enjoyed getting to, to know Tyler more. Uh, we have a far ranging conversation. Doesn't quite fit into the, uh, to the business, uh, framework we have here at the College of Business, but an interesting guy with an interesting story and a really good perspective on, on how to make change in your life. So without any further ado, I give you Tyler Hamilton. So I'm here today with Tyler Hamilton. Tyler, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's it's an honor to be here. So you are, I mean, gosh, 
it's it's funny. You kind of operate in this space where there's a large percentage of the population who doesn't know much about you or who you are. And then there's this white hot segment of the population that feels like they know a whole lot. Sure. You know, so maybe just tell us a little bit about who you are and the path you took to get to Missoula? I know that's a huge question. Yeah. We'll get into some of the details here. Yeah, right. Uh, who am I? Yeah, I, don't, I grew up, I'm an East Coaster. I grew up in just north of Boston. Marblehead? A town called Marblehead, yeah. So I got Boston in my, mm-hmm. my blood, which means my Red Sox fan, a Patriots fan, Bruins, and Celtics. Yes, indeed. Yeah, so I love, my, I love sports. Grew up, yeah, uh, really enjoying sports. I was my favorite sport growing up, the ski, downhill ski racing. Mm-hmm. Really thrived. And so you, so, I mean, we talked about it. I grew up in New Hampshire, so a lot of the similar kind of stomping grads from our youth. You know, I remember actually my first kind of touch point with you was at the Mount Washington Hill Climb. Oh, you were there? Six or 97. Nice. Yeah. And this, you know, this this, this, this legendary pro collegiate national champ just comes in and rides away from the whole field. It's pretty, and that's a brutal event. That's one of the hardest hill climbs, I think, in the world. So like 22% at the top? At the top, it's like 22%. I yeah, think it's like yeah. 7.5 miles at an average grade of like 12.5%, which you don't, you don't see anything close to that in the Tour de France. No. Not even close. I think the running times are <laughs> almost as fast, if not faster, than many of the biking times. That's correct, yes, yes. Yep. And which I certainly is... felt like I could probably be running faster than I was riding my bike. Did you run it? I've ridden up it, yeah. yeah. Ridden or run? Uh, I haven't done the running race. I've okay, done the bike race. Good for you. Yeah. A lot of suffering. So anyway, we kind of bounced into the intro there, but um, you know, so so Tyler, former professional cyclist at the highest level of the sport, one of the most decorated uh, American, but also cyclist worldwide. And then the thing that I think propelled you to many people's radar screen was the the doping stuff yeah. and how you told your story. You've written a wonderful book called The Secret Race. Two thousand eleven, that book came out. Two thousand twelve. I think it was two thousand twelve. I think so. Yeah. yeah, right when I moved here. And so you've told that story so honestly and with such sort of just raw transparency on a lot of other platforms. I encourage listeners to check that out. Um, I just saw a, um, you did a really nice series with Grant Benzinger. Oh, yeah. Depth interview series yeah, yeah. and your 60 Minutes appearance and many interviews. Um, so, so, so listeners can get that information elsewhere. But kind of what I'm interested in in this conversation, if you're willing, is to talk about making change in your life, finding opportunity when you need to, when you need to hustle, the doors close, and then also a little bit about why this community of Missoula is is, is a place where you've been able to do that. We moved here at about the same time, 2012, Mm -hmm. and I moved here for a job. You moved here. Well, why did you move here? Yeah, I moved here just for a change of pace. I was living in uh, Boulder, Colorado. Which is a great town. Uh, you know, I went to college there yeah. and kind of called that my sort of home base. I raced over in Europe professionally. You'd be over there for nine, ten months out of the year. But then it was always nice to come back to Boulder. Yeah. Um, great place. But it was, uh, there were a lot of things going on at, at that time in 2012. And okay. uh, it was time to make a change. I had, And I had heard Bozeman was like a small boulder. Uh, so that got me interested in Montana originally. And then I was started to do a little bit of investigating online and just and I and I saw Missoula and I really just fell in love with it mm-hmm. and I said I don't want a small boulder I want something totally new not nothing against uh, Bozeman Bozeman's a great town yeah beautiful 
But uh, Missoula is a special place. So then were you, had you been here before? Were you just like, hey, let's go check it out? Or I, I came here for like a long weekend. I drove yeah. up from Boulder. Uh, yeah, I think I was here three days and, and I knew it. It grabs you pretty quickly. It grabbed me quickly. And I was like, yeah, this is a great place. And and obviously it's super beautiful around here. You know, you can get out in the middle of nowhere very quickly. Yeah. Uh, but it's the people. The people are great. The people are what make Missoula so special. Yeah, so what is it about those those people? I feel the same way. I mean, I kind of have some ideas. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a sense. But um, yeah. what have you found about the people here that have been? Just down to earth and pretty relaxed. And, you know, most people leave their ego at the doors, at the doorway. And yeah. I like that. Uh, coming from Boulder, you know, Boulder, there's a gazillion athletes, you know, high caliber athletes. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of, you know, there are a lot of big egos there and, uh, and that was kind of hard to get away from. And, yeah, I, I just so, I feel like I'm a normal person here, and people treat me like a normal person here, which is a lot. And that's working for you now. It's great. Yeah, I am a normal person. I mean, I would think, I would think in Boulder at that time of your life, it, it's almost like living a Strava segment, if you will. So for for the listeners that don't know, Strava is like this social media exercise logging platform where like you upload your workouts and everybody's examining you and comparing them themselves. I mean, the culture in Boulder almost yeah. feels like you're walking around in, in a, a lot of comparing, world. a lot of comparing, a lot of, yeah, a lot of people looking at you. And yeah. So here you can kind of move here. Start, yeah. I've, I've been here fresh. five and a half years. I feel kind of like I've been on some sort of little getaway. Yeah. Some sort of retreat, but at the That's same been time, fantastic. Yeah. although I've had to deal with a bunch of stuff, you know, I finished writing that book here the last, it took me about two and a half years to write. And I think the last six months were here in Missoula. Yeah. And then I came out when I was here and then that book, it was a big deal for a while, I guess. It's I think it's fair to deal. say. And so that, it was a couple of years of just kind of dealing with all that, you know, the, the fallout from all that, I guess the good, the bad and the ugly from, from that book. Yeah. So what, so you, uh, I assume you did a book tour. Of some kind and did some... Not necessarily a book tour, but yeah, I, I guess I, I travel a lot. Right. Promote the book. Yeah. Tell the story. I mean, I've seen you talk a couple times at the Wilma. I saw you talk at the... Oh, yeah. um, uh, it was like the Chamber of Commerce dinner oh, yeah, nice. last year. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, the way with which you've told your story is you've just gone so much deeper than anybody else in, yeah. in a style that's totally believable, totally transparent and admirable to me particularly somebody who is a huge fan of yours and sports and it's just such a breath of fresh air in a way. Yeah. You know, I lied about it for a long time and covered it up. You know, doping was at the highest level of cycling at the Tour de France level. It was very prevalent. And, uh, you know, I got caught and lied about it for a long time. Yeah. I was like, I was living in my own personal prison with all my lies. And, you know, I thought I was doing it for noble causes, you know, I wanted to protect all my old teammates. I wanted to protect myself. I wanted to protect the sport of cycling. But little did I know, was, you know, that was the worst thing I could have done. So when I did feel like I had the opportunity to, to, to tell the truth, it was like a huge weight off my back. Mm-hmm. And I saw what it, how it could help other people. And yeah, I've just kind of gone with it. It feels, it feels like the right thing to do. You know, I wish I had done it way sooner. You know, I wish I'd never gotten involved, but it was a pretty rotten sport at that time at the highest level in terms of doping. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing. And it's something I'd, like, I'd love to get your thoughts on is professional sports in general. How do we... Yeah. It's a... 
as an academic, I'm sort of trained to be a skeptic. So how do you reconcile your sort of experience with how you view sport in general? Because you coach, you coach kids up at Snowball. I see you up there all the time coaching these junior racers. Yeah. So sport is such a force for good in our lives. But how do we partition that from our feelings towards what's going on at the highest levels? Yeah. Up to a certain level, you know, I love it. And then afterwards, I think I'm a little bit maybe maybe skeptical or yeah. just or not 100% sure, really, you know, yeah. based on what I've seen. I speak a lot about all this and I get a lot of people afterwards from the crowd that come up and tell, tell me, share a story about themselves personally or a brother or a sister or whatever or a friend who went through something. Or, mm-hmm. So I've heard a lot of stories about a lot of different sports. A lot. It's not just cycling. You know, cycling was not the only sport that had a problem. Yeah. It's everywhere at the highest level where there's where people are making money, where there where there's big sponsors. Yeah. It's, yeah. And it's you know, after after this whole cycling really explosion with the with the doping, with that news coming out what, five, four or five years ago? Pretty much, yeah. You know. A lot of people have said, Okay, now it's all gone, it's all behind us. That's far from the case. You know, we have to work harder now in all sport to try to make sure we have clean sport. We don't have clean sport today. That's that's a fact. Yeah, you know? I mean, it would seem like this thing where the, the... I mean, I've heard war stories about horrible stories about kids in high school, before high school. I'm not yeah. going to say the sports that yeah. I've heard, but like, yeah. Junior high school. Well, there's the a lot pressure of to succeed. To it. Yeah. yeah, you know, the they, they want to get a Division One scholarship. Yeah. And, you know, and that means they have to be on the team their freshman year in high school, whatever. Like, there's yeah, many so that... stories. But I've heard stories from all different sports from politicians, from people on Wall Street, from you name it, I've heard it, and it's been pretty eye-opening. So my first fall teaching here, I had a student uh, approach me about academic doping. Yeah. He didn't call oh, yeah. it that, yeah. but he was talking about Adderall and other prescription meds. That's a huge, and, that's a huge problem. Yeah, and if it, I mean, if it's performance enhancing in terms of your academic performance, then we're talking about some interesting life questions with you know if somebody outperforms on the SAT or in class yeah. and that opens doors into colleges that other people might not yeah yeah it's yeah it's a big deal it is a big deal so how do we as a society I mean right now like in sport it's easy to sort of say well here's the list of things you can do and can't do and so yeah. people sort of those are the rules and they either choose to obey them or not and right that you know in every sport, there's giant loopholes. Yeah, exactly. So if you're at the elite level, you have plenty of people to help you. There are plenty of people will let you know where the loopholes are and how to avoid yeah. having a positive test. I mean, is that just the nature of competition? That people are going to always find those loopholes, those lines, and try to try to like it. What's, I, I, I don't know I, who I said it, but that famous baseball quote: of, "If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying." Oh yeah, who said that? Yeah, somebody. In my opinion, I mean, the pressure to succeed these days is. You know, it's never been this high. Well, whatever it is in academics, in business world, in sports. So when that when that pressure is so high, like people are going to eventually cut a corner a little bit, and then the next time maybe a little bit more, and then before you know it, you're deep into it, up yeah. to your neck in it. And then a problem. And then you take a step back. You're like, how did I get here? That's kind of what happened to me, at least. And you know, people tell me stories about it on Wall Street. You know, how they're groomed. They get in there fresh out of college. And, and they, you know, they pick out the ones they can trust. And mm-hmm. Before they know it, they're deep into it, not happy about where they are. Yeah, maybe happy about the you know money they're making, but not ethically where they are in their life. And so, so. You, you've been in that space where you're you're, you're locked in, and I, I don't exactly yeah. know what that feels like. But 
but it's a strange place. Yeah, and so how do you you add the weight of the sort of federal government and that investigation? Sort of say, hey, you got to come in and tell the truth, or you go to jail. Yeah. Some people don't tell the truth, even in that instance. Oh yeah, many didn't. Many yeah. didn't. And I can tell you a few. So no, how either. do you, yeah? <laughs> how do you how do you make change in your life when you feel like the walls are closing in? Honestly, I felt like I was lucky that all happened. It kind of because it kind of reset my whole life. It totally grounded me. Yeah. It opened my eyes, and it was like, wow! By just telling the truth, I can. I saved myself. I was a mess inside. I was okay. a mess inside. Okay. I was in my own personal prison. You know, I thought I was doing it for all the right reasons. I got to keep keep this secret. I gotta take it to the grave. So for all my old buddies that I'm really not even friends with anymore, but I gotta, you know, protect them. Old fraternity mates in a way. Mm-hmm. You know, I gotta protect the sport. You know, I don't want to be that guy. And then eventually, it was like, you know, I got a call from Jeff Davitsky, a federal agent. There was an investigation into Lance Armstrong mm-hmm. and the old U.S. Postal Team, and I was mm-hmm. like, okay backed up to the edge of the cliff and it was either jump off or tell the truth right and i went into this courtroom in los angeles you know sat there for seven hours and just unloaded the truth you know i went in with like a hundred pound backpack on and i came out it was gone yeah obviously it hasn't been a, it's been there's been some tough moments since then for sure for sure for sure but but since then it's been life has changed a lot been heading uphill again you know yeah, so well, let's get into some of that life change. So, you know, you, you, I'm sure that moment was sort of the end of the beginning in a way. And then all of a sudden yeah. life gets crazy with a book and 60 Minutes and yeah. media and lawsuits and all that yeah, stuff. Sure. It seems like some of that dust has settled to some degree. Oh, I would say a lot, a lot. I mean, there, there's still stuff out there that's happening, but yeah, it's yeah. settled a lot for sure. So now you're here in Missoula. For sure. It's... it's you know, you got your feet on the ground here. Yeah. But I'm sure as a professional cyclist, you did quite well. But it's not like you're Barry Bonds retiring. You got to work. You got to. No, I'm life, starting over rent. financially. Everything. I'm kind of starting over. You know, um, I took a little time to kind of come to terms with that. But yeah, it's been good. I think it's been good, really good for me. Okay. I'm starting over completely. And what better place than Missoula, Montana? Sure. So, and so you have. I feel pretty lucky there. I mean, you've done you've done a bit of real estate work, but that yeah, I tried the that. real estate work. You know, I, got, I was a realtor for about a year at okay. Inc Realty Group, which is a great group of people. Um, I had a blast. I just it wasn't really me. Mm-hmm. But I, at that time, I you know I was like I had gotten back from a trip where I did a bunch of uh, talks. I was a little bit tired of it. I came back and I was like, I want to do something completely different, totally different. Um, but during that year of being a realtor, I realized that I missed kind of focusing on the things that I really like to do, which was coaching business, cycling coaching business. Yeah. Did Tyler Hamilton training. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. So that's been fantastic. And focusing more on that, focusing more on, um, I, I spent a lot of time uh, working on the fight against MS. Yes, okay. So I've been doing that since 1997. So I've kind of doubled down and focusing more on that. I do a lot of. Uh, work with this charity in um, Colorado, in Dale, Colorado. Okay. It's called Can Do MS. So what was the that. connection point to multiple sclerosis? Um, yeah. Well, originally, growing up, there was a guy, a ski racer by the name of Jimmy Hugo. Okay. He was an absolute stud. He won a bronze medal in the 64 Olympic Games in the slalom. And then um, by the late 60s, was feeling symptoms of uh, MS. So I knew all about him when I was a growing up as a ski racer sure. and I knew I heard about this disease that he had which was called MS multiple sclerosis 
Um, and then I, you know, years, years moving, moving forward years, um, I was a professional cyclist and uh, a good friend of mine, his mom, his mother-in-law had MS and he invited me to go to a charity ride in Massachusetts where okay. I was living at the time. So it kind of started out simply, simply like that. I went and did a 75 mile charity ride and met people with with MS, mm-hmm. met, you know, people whose husband or wife had MS and they were there riding for them or a yeah. coworker or a friend. And, and I was like, wow, this is, and I felt like m- me being there was a, was helpful. And yeah, I said, I'm going to keep doing stuff like this. And it's just grown and grown and grown over the years. Yeah. And so yeah. now you do this work with MS Global. And you do these, yeah. These I put on a ride called trips. MS Global. Mm-hmm. I started that yeah, 15 years ago. It's been awesome. It's a week long ride every September. Yeah. We change locations every year. Uh, last year was in Mallorca, Spain. Okay. This year will be in Moab, Utah. Wow. Uh, yeah, we raised I think a quarter million bucks last year, which was great. That's amazing. So, yeah, now I do some. I've been doing a bunch of ski events for this for this uh, Can Do program. You know, Jim, it's it used to be called the Jimmy Hugo Foundation. Now it's called Can Do MS. Okay. Uh, Jimmy, when the, Jimmy was first diagnosed with MS, they said you just sit on the couch and save your energy. Uh, you know, he was an athlete and he he did that for a couple of years and realized that that was no life to live and um he started being active again and it really changed his life yeah so yeah i know that's what they teach people in these can do programs and it's fantastic i went and sat through a four-day program and it was just really eye-opening and you could see people's lives changing right in front of you and that has to be pretty awesome i mean it has to resonate with you in the process of making big change in your own life yeah i think yeah what I've realized, you know, since coming here to Missoula is what makes me happy. I love helping people. Yeah. You know, okay. at the end of the day, like whatever I can do to help a person, anybody, like that's what I enjoy doing. You know, it's very fulfilling. Yeah. Whether so it's coaching is... kids or, you know, coaching cyclists that, right. you know, this business or helping people in the MS community or whatever. I don't know. Like, you know, I want to do more around this community. Um, and I deliver food once a month for the food bank. Okay done some work at the Pavarello Center. We're all pretty lucky, you know. There's there's a lot of people out there who've been uh, dealt bad hands. Yeah. And uh, we should all, we all need to give back more. We can all do more. I can do more. So, I mean, the life of a professional athlete is is hugely self-centered in a way. Oh, big time. You're so you're focused, so focused on, on yourself. yourself. Yeah. And now you know, your life has changed. You can see this, this sort of service orientation, coaching other athletes to help yeah. them succeed. You're raising money and helping people fighting a disease. And this coaching up at Snowball, you see up there, just, yeah. just it seems joyful. It is with joyful. With the kids up there. Yeah. Great kids. And so has that been an explicit choice in your life to, to seek opportunities to serve? Or has it just sort of, You've arrived at that place. Yeah, I think it's just arrived. Yeah, it just kind of happened naturally. You know, I mean, the ski race, I grew up a ski racer, so for yeah. me, it's kind of come full circle now, coaching, lugging around the gates, yeah, kind of standing on the hill, you know, watching kids ski by. Yeah, that's kind of come naturally. Yeah. And so how about the complicated relationship with the bike industry? I mean, so get out of cycling, and then I'm sure there are times where you're like, I don't want anything to do with a bike or cycling or any of that. Yeah. But at the same time, that, that's yeah. a big part of your DNA, I would think. It, well, it was. It was. I mean, I um, I took a big step away from cycling for a while. I mean, I still had a coaching business, a biking coach, coaching business, but I, I did very little riding myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I really tried to, to not really read a whole lot about it. I just needed some space from it. You know, I was 
really deep into it for such a long time. And yeah. kind of what I went through was pretty heavy. It was pretty much as heavy as it gets, really, at least at times. Yeah, it was, to be honest, it was, and what better place to kind of step away from bike riding, you know, here in Missoula, like there's so many other things to do. Like, yeah. Got out, yeah, ton, yeah. done tons of hiking, got into paddle boarding here. You know, they're all, we have all these fantastic, beautiful rivers here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, got back of... into skiing. Okay. You know, which, you know, I didn't ski for years, for years. It's probably years your contract. Years. You couldn't ski. Right? Yeah, it was in some of my contracts. It was not. I was not allowed to ski. Wow. And you know, but I also I felt like you know the cycling world sort of turned their back on me. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I get it. I cheated and lied for a long time. You know, it was what was happening during that period in the cycling world. You know, it was not just me. It goes really deep. You know, far deeper than you know. Some have come out since then and told the truth. You know, that's one percent max, point five percent. There's a lot that haven't come through and told the truth. Not to say they need to go out and tell the truth now, but you know, a lot of people turned their backs on me and re- thought it was you know it was, it was just me and just Lance and just a few other bad eggs and we were the bad guys. And everybody else was doing it fairly, but obviously that wasn't the case. And to be honest, yeah, so I kind of turned my back. I kind of just walked away from it a little bit. I kept yeah. a little bit of. One pinky finger in with my coaching business, but sure, yeah, and yeah. I mean, I, I people generally we don't like nuance in our lives. We don't like things that are complicated. So to sort of write you guys off as bad eggs in an ethical system or an otherwise pristine system is it's short sighted. Yeah, and a lot of people then said, "Okay, it's doping is over. Yeah, doping that's is true done too. with." That was interesting because, you know, you like, know your, your version, I mean, when when you came out and told the truth, it seemed like you went all the way, whereas there was this other cohort of fellas that um, it seemed like all had the very similar story, like, hey, these are the things we did, and then we stopped on this date. And 2006, they all stopped. Yeah. like yeah. A, What day? Exactly. Do they all decide on their calendars, we're going to stop on this day? Probably has to deal with, you know, when they want their statute of limitations and their suspensions. It seems all negotiated. Yeah, who knows, who knows. Which, but you know, I I can't be crit- critical about it because I lied about my all my stuff. Yeah, there's no utility. Time. So, and I get it. You know, feds came knocking on my door. You know, I had already been dealing with the doping issue for a while personally. Mm-hmm. Whereas a lot of these guys, that was new to them. Right. Although they'd been doping for a long time, they had not had to come to terms with the truth till then. Right. So I get it. Your, I get it. You yeah. you go through a period where maybe you tell eighty percent of the truth, but for whatever reason, you hang on to that last twenty percent. I don't know. But yeah. So everyone's on their own paths, sure. you know, and I got a little bit of a head start on them. So I saw, I ran into a guy this last year who grew up here in Butte by the name of Levi Leipheimer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've seen him what, the last two Novembers have done an event out in uh, Northern California. So I bumped into him a couple of times and just in the last year, so two Novembers ago versus this last November, I saw a big change in him just coming to terms with it and right. just being a little bit more open about it and. We made some big mistakes, but we're not necessarily, we're not bad people. He's a, he's a good person. I'm a good person. But, you know, we picked the wrong time to be in the sport of professional cycling. Or maybe the right time. Or maybe the right, yeah, maybe it's all, yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to kind of think about how this industry of sport, is it capable of change? You know, there's not a lot of We've got a lot of work to do, a lot of work to do. I don't know if you... I don't know if you've seen that movie Icarus. Yeah, that's it's insane. Film. Yeah, and, uh, and there's other one that's not. You know, I'm sure that's. I'm sure that's just the tip of the iceberg, and it's ugly, real ugly. Yeah, I mean the the you whole know? Icarus Russia story. I mean people are people are getting killed. People that. are getting killed. I mean people are getting killed. It's getting pretty serious. Yeah, you know. And so you think about that on yeah, you know, you're 
like NFL franchises, those things will trade for a billion dollars. I mean, these are giant corporations, businesses. And I mean, it goes back to our previous question. Is it possible to even have, it's it's an entertainment business. I mean, I guess sport in many ways is is an entertainment business. Is it possible for it to be clean? Should it be clean? Like, what does that even mean? You got to try. You got to, you got to try and try real. And we got to try harder. Although there are some that argue, let's just, you know, eliminate all doping control and, and let people do what they want. So what does that tell the young athlete then? I agree. It so you them. can't. So that's a, I get that argument, but it's a flat out, you can't do that. Yeah. I mean, I think it sort of you can't. has some logical consistency. A little at the bit, but like level, then but what do the young athletes do? They're going to follow, you know, what they're. Yeah. From day one. Those athletes that they woke up to, they're going to do the same thing. And the message they get is that yeah. this is the way to succeed. And yeah. Can you talk about that with skiers, the juniors, and, and all that? Do you guys get into that at all? You know, I work with like 8 to 14-year-olds. Some um, some of the, I guess, 13, 14-year-olds, I'll talk to them about um, kind of what I've been through. And, yeah. You know, give, my, give a little warning to them just to keep your eyes open, listen to your listen mm-hmm. to your gut. Don't ever feel rushed to make any big decision. You know, I wish I had kind of taken a, a deep breath and a couple steps back before I, you know, first started you know that first little red testosterone yeah you know, that i took back in like 1997 that to me when reading your book that's the piece that stood out to me is the most salient and i think maybe something that's fewer people have talked about like by the time you got to that moment where you took the red pill or got yeah. the paper bag or whatever yeah. you were all in on this life I, this career yeah and in order to succeed at that level in sport or in many things in life you have to go all in and when you go all in you cut off other doors i was all in i dropped out of my you know i was in my senior year at university of colorado i dropped out of school rode for the u.s national team for a year then the following year as professional yeah and uh, a couple years later into my professional career i think i was in my third season as a professional we we were a couple months away from riding in our first tour de france that's you know that what that was when it was presented to me. Yeah, you know, and it was in a hotel room in southern Spain. And you're either in or out. Yeah, it was basically in or out. Yeah, and so you know, had I known what what that was going to lead to, just in terms of the doping, how much, you know, I would have been on that first flight back to Boston. You know, they slowly groomed you, and you know, started out with a couple red pills here and there, a little injection mm-hmm. here here and there of EPO that the doctor would administer. And then before I know, knew it, I was getting handed this little white lunch bag of the goodies to take home with me in between the races. And it almost you seemed know? like that system was one the athletes aspired to. Like, oh, I've arrived. I get the lunch bag. Like, I don't want to yep. be in that elite group. Yep. And you're, I mean, that's a whole thing. Yep. It's like you're fighting to get in the elite, in yep. the elite selection, all that. And yep. so it's not only you don't have other options or you feel like you don't have other options, but it's also this thing I've been working for my entire life. Yeah. Yeah. I do remember before I started doping looking around at some of my teammates getting handed these little white lunch bags yeah. after races and not really knowing what was in them and, or why I'd, I didn't get one. And then, then I did figure it out, you know, before I ever got one. And that kind of, that made me motivated to like work even harder to prove that I didn't need one. But, oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. But eventually it was psych, you know, back then it was 99% at least Peloton was doping. So it was like, it was hard to compete against yeah. them. So eventually... You know, eventually I crossed the line and the doctor came into my room and, you know, gave me a pretty heartfelt speech and told me it wasn't cheating. It was for my health. And doing that, like, it was being professional. That's what all the professionals did. So uh-huh. 
Do you reach and a then point? I, yeah, I felt kind of like I was invited into the fraternity. I, I felt like I went, at that moment, I went from the B team. Within my team, I went from the B team to the A team. Right. And a couple months later, I rode my first Tour de France. That was nice. I thought that was going to be my first and my last one. I thought So I was like, hey, Mom, Dad, come over. Come over mm-hmm. early because I don't know if I'll finish. Right. But I was like, you know, I saved everything back then because I thought that was... Thought I'd probably go back to school the next year and finish school and be onward. Sure. But little did I know that was like just the start. Just the very beginning. You know, a couple of years later, I'm trying to help Lance Armstrong win the tour, you know, as his teammate. And then a couple of years after that, I'm trying to win the tour myself, Was which is just insane. I was just happy to be on the start line, just to have a number. Yeah. Like one of these in your wall. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I thought, honestly, that was as good as it was ever going to get. And then I was like, oh, maybe I can finish this thing in my first year. And I, sure enough, I did finish it. Just kept growing and growing. And the same with the dope and the doping, same thing. It was just little by little. It was like you got a little bit more into it and more into it. The pressures got higher. Is there ever a point where it's it's just such a part of the fabric of your existence and the culture that it's not even thought of as cheating? Uh, Yeah, yeah. Some of my old uh, guys I used to race with, they, they have said publicly that they didn't feel like they were cheating because everybody was doing it. But I always felt I knew it was wrong. I knew it was wrong. Well, if it's and secret. I, you know, I, I, I have two great parents that taught me the difference yeah. between, between right and wrong. I had made plenty of mistakes as a kid, but for them, it was no lying. They, you know, they allowed, uh, I got away with some stuff, but when, when it came to lying, like they. That was it. That was it. No messing around there. Tell the truth or else. So what's that process? And so like I always fought with it and I spent, I call them committee meetings. So I'd be up from two to three in the morning. I'd be there and wherever I was living at the time over in Europe, like in Spain, looking at the ceiling, just, it bothered me. And honestly, I thought this is way too big of a secret since everybody's really doing it for it not to come out. And I, that was my biggest fear. I would stay awake at night sometimes. So fearful that the, that the truth would come out. Yeah. You know, but it was such a big secret and everybody was in on the secret, not only the riders, but the staff these teams and a lot of the sponsors knew and all that and i was like how's this how has this stayed secret for so long and it wasn't it didn't just start when i got there or when lance got there a few years before you know doping and cycling had been going on for you know forever really just different things over the years but what do you think it is about cycling and, that makes it such a, a target for that? Because it, it, it's going on in other sports. I mean, track no, it's going on. Rampant, yeah, I mean, I've heard know. stories about every big sport. I've yeah, heard stories football, about from baseball. people from well from good sources. Yeah, for sure. And it's happening everywhere. You know, it's ski racer. It's happening in ski racing. It's happening in you know the four major sports here in the states. It's happening in cross country skiing. It's happening in running. It's, yeah, I mean, you name absolutely. it. It's happens. It's there. I'm not saying all the elite athletes are doing it, but there's a lot. There are some that are, and it's. What was your question? Well, it seems like there's not a lot of incentive for these leagues, whatever it is, the NFL, the NHL, whatever. I don't know if they want to catch. Well, that's it. Like you know, I was right about the time where you were starting to really get into it as a cyclist. I mean, that was the late '90s when you know you had the Barry Bond, you had yeah, whatever it was, the Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa home run race. Yeah, it's like '98, and yeah. people are printing money. Yeah, watching these, you know, these sort of monstrosities of human bodies pump out home runs. Everybody's making money. Yeah. I was at like some sort of sports seminar speaking, I don't know, maybe three years ago. It was back in Boston. And uh, they had a bunch of different big rooms where people were speaking. And uh, the room next to me was Adam Silver, who was the, oh, yeah, the, was NBA the commissioner, commissioner of the NBA. And they said, they said, this is what I heard, at least one of the journalists said, Tyler Hamilton is next door speaking about doping and cycling. The, the NBA does, does the 
National Basketball League have a problem. He just said flat out, there's no doping in basketball. Wow. That's not the right attitude to have. No, particularly as a commissioner. No. You gotta, you gotta make sure there's you're doing all the tests and all that to make sure that never happens because you know it's possible. Yeah. But that kind of attitude. Yeah, I don't know the answers either. I mean, I think about it in the world that I live in a little bit with brands and marketing. Yeah. Big brands are attaching themselves to athletes like you and Lance or whoever it is, and they have an easy out. If Tesco's positive, they can just say, oh, we're out. We had yeah. no idea. Yeah. It's hard to believe that these companies had no idea as this was going on. Yeah. So, For sure. yeah, there's these entrenched power structures that uh, have, yeah. yeah. But they don't have, they don't pay, you don't have to at a price like the athlete no you know not at all you guys pay the price in terms of the how it you know how, how much destructive force it has in your life yeah the consequences for your body you can be ostracized from the sport i'm sure there was a time where you were like well no companies i, I don't think about how Lan- how far lance has fallen you know yeah i mean he's picked himself up and he's moving forward again but he had one of the largest falls from grace for any athlete i think in the history of the world and he wasn't you know the only one doing it the only one in, in his in his circle mm-hmm. that knew about it you know there were plenty of people that hated that you know he hasn't gone on to talk about it yet hopefully someday he will but i think that would help yeah him and sport but uh yeah, there was a big circle of people around it supporting it. And now, as soon as it all goes bad, you know, everyone turns their back. And, oh, I knew nothing. Not to defend his actions, but yeah. it, the system was large. Yeah, it makes you wonder, like, how change actually happens. I guess it happens. I just, it, now it's all about enjoying sport, enjoying being active. And, uh, so let's talk about that for a second. So you, I mean, kind of, actually, the, you know, I've known you around town a little bit. we got mutual yeah. friends. But yeah. then I stumbled into this podcast a few weeks ago you did with Ryan Corey. And yeah, great guy. Packing. And great then guy. I remember following your Instagram that you um, had done this trip from Banff down through Whitefish on the Continental Divide yeah. Trail. It was so cool. Yeah. So cool. So it seems like there's this type of cycling now that has maybe rekindled a bit of passion for you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's called bike packing. It's, a, it's like backpacking but on a bike. You know, they have all these really cool bags. Yeah, I, I, I tell people about this. it, and they're yeah. like, how's that? I know, most people touring? are like, what? It's basically bike touring, exactly. whatever you want to call it. Oh, better gear. Way better gear. You're not having those, like, the uh, bags are pretty sleek, so you're not uh, pushing an extra, a lot of extra wind, so yeah. to speak. Yeah, um, I don't know. It's great. I'm a, a total rookie at it, mm-hmm. but uh, I got some, you know, I was fortunate enough to get a bike from one of my, I have a couple sponsors, and uh, I was able to get a bike. That's an open cycle? It's a, Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a Canadian bike. And it's, is it and, Gerard Berman? Because they did yeah, Cervelo when exactly. you guys were on yep. CSC. It's a guy who used to do Cervelo, yep. It's called a gravel grinder. It's So it's in between like a cyclocross bike, you know, yep. and a mountain bike. Okay. So it can, I mean, it basically can go wherever a mountain bike can go, minus the super rocky, sure. big drop-off kind of trails. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't have suspension, but yeah. I rode it on a lot of, I've ridden it so you know in the last year on a lot of technical trails and so you can ride anywhere on the road, you know, on the gravel on the side of the road if the mm-hmm. road doesn't have much of a shoulder. You know, these days with people on cell phones driving. Yeah, and in Montana sometimes, too. Yeah, to, we don't have great bike lanes here, no. just in general in Montana. So sometimes when you are on the road, I ride, you know, five feet over in the dirt on this thing because it can handle it. You're not going to get right. flat. And so getting uh, out there by yourself in the wilderness, I mean, it's got to go back to some of your childhood in the White Mountains. Yeah, yeah. Some of the pure yeah. aspects yeah. of sport. I just love being in nature. I love animals, like love them and 
being able to experience. Yeah, I love being. I I, I like doing a lot of it I'm by myself. It's fun. I'm yeah. kind of an introvert. Yeah. And I did this great route from Banff, Canada down just a little bit outside of Whitefish. Okay. Yeah. And all on this trail called the Great Divide Mountain Bike Route. And it was awesome. Saw a lot of wildlife. Saw a grizzly bear on the first day. Wow. Which was great. Went through a section called the Grizzly Bear Corridor, which is in the Flathead Valley in the on the Canadian yes. section okay. of, the, of the Flathead Valley. Basically north of Pole Bridge up in there. It's dense. It's remote. And they call it the Grizzly Bear Corridor. That was probably the highlight. I was definitely really nervous in that section. You know, I had bear spray. I must have yelled, hey, bear, a thousand times that day. Oh, yeah. I know that much. You know what I mean? Just yell. I keep yelling it. Make noise. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of noise. But there were a few times where I was, yeah. And so as you've gotten into this kind of new style of cycling to you, are, are you now with your coaching business at all taking it in that direction? We're going to start heading that way a little bit, yeah. but I mean, I'm, I'm still learning myself, so I'm not coaching the athletes. But, you know, there's people that race these super long distances Absolutely. now, and it, that's becoming more and more popular. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would, I would say I still have some learning to do before I want to coach somebody. I'm going to take a little time on that. But yeah, that's something where we're, we're heading that way. Whatever people need in terms of coaching okay. on the bike, you know. However uh, they want to get better. Yeah. For sure. That's one question I have. So we, we coach I, mostly weekend warrior types, people that have families, you know, 40 to 50 hour a week job, limited amount of time to ride their bike, but they love riding and they might be getting ready for a, a charity event or one of the grand fondos, as they call them. Or some people like to race a little bit. But yeah, most so of our people your, are, yeah, are weekend warriors. Like how do people, well, how do you things. kind of differentiate your, your coaching? Like what is your... Yeah, it's all custom based. We, each, each, there's no um, two programs that are the same. So we get to know the individual, their goals, okay, you know what they're looking for, and start from there. It's a take. It's a little bit of a process to to get going. Get but once you get going, it's uh, I don't know. You see, you see their improvements pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's the best part is to hear you know hear them hear them smiling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then you on can the ride phone, with these on the telephone. Too, like, yeah, yeah. sometimes I get to ride with them, but a lot of it's from afar. So you, to hear yeah. them just happy on the phone. Or sometimes you talk to their significant other on the phone there and they're like, oh my God, they're so happy now. Thank you. Like it's helped our, our, our relationship because of it. And like, that's music to my ears. Yeah. I love hearing that, you know, our hard work is, is helping. It sounds like you've kind of figured out ways to work in service of others, but also in a way that you find joy in cycling and in the the more pure aspects of sport. Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't really like to compete anymore. Yeah. I mean, competition in a way sometimes takes away the the pure joy of it. You know, Mm -hmm. I love just riding my bike. I didn't realize that for a while. I kind of turned my back to the riding and it's it's awesome or get out hiking or whatever. Sometimes, uh, not to say competition is bad or competition is great as I look up on your wall with all these race numbers. Well, but I, (laughs) you know, but like sometimes, you know, I've competed my whole life and I competed at the highest of high levels, you know. For me now, it's just about enjoying being outdoors. And, yeah. And it's good for you too, right? Absolutely. That, right? Not only for your head, but just, yeah, for your mind, for your body, for your soul, everything. It's yeah. great to turn your back on it. was not well, an option. I'm glad, I'm glad I kind of saw the light, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, what I, I, I mean, I think the overall arching theme of this conversation is that life is messy. Everything's messy. Life is messy. Life is and, messy. Yeah. You know, the, this, this thing, sport, and the industry surrounding it is... There's so much good in it. There's a lot of good, but I think with everything in life, there's... It's not universally good. Yep, yep. Keep your eyes open. Listen to your gut. You know? Yeah. I wish I had done that more in my life. Right. Uh, 
don't rush into any major decision based on someone else's the pressure that somebody else might give you. Uh, but yeah, enjoy. Try to enjoy life. And I don't know. Now I try to take life a little less seriously. And I mean, I'm serious about the things that I do, but I try to kind of let my hair down a little bit and just enjoy everything. Mm-hmm. Life's pretty amazing. It can get complicated sometimes, but it's the only shot um, we got. So yeah, at least as far yeah, as all of us, as far know. as we know. <laughs> yeah. So, so Tyler, I can't thank you enough for being so generous with your time. Oh yeah, um, anytime. And just your, your openness and your willing to willingness to to just jump in we don't know each other well yeah i hope we get to know each other better absolutely um, as i said before like i've been inspired and respectful of how you've shared your story and, and you i've often heard you say like hey open book ask any question yeah um so as we close here i guess my question for you is is there a question that nobody's asking that you're kind of surprised uh, by you know a lot of people ask you the same questions and we talked about some of the you know a lot of the doping stuff but yeah what's the question that um, people aren't asking I don't know. That's a good, that's a good question. I don't know. I think, what are people not asking me? It's a stumper. Know. That's a, you, you have stumped me. No, I don't know. I don't really think about that a lot. Just well, then how about what's about next? That. What's next for you? What's the next thing you're, uh, the next change for you? The next change? Yeah. The next change. Um, I don't know. Just continuing doing what I'm doing. Things, some things are evolving. You know, I've got a, my partner up with a buddy, my old best friend back in Boston. He, he wants to build some cool homes out here, sort of like base camp home type oh, thing. Oh, interesting. Kind of for, built for the adventure. Sure. You know, place to sleep. But built for toys. the sort of the younger, younger crowd, not, ex, not very expensive. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We're now just talking about it, but he's, uh, he's certainly very motivated and feel like i'm getting to know this area pretty well so we'll, we'll see we'll see i'll keep you posted on all, all that uh but yeah continuing to help the ms community continue doing these talks i've got a couple international trips scheduled this next this year i guess 2018 wow 2018 yeah, we're, here. <laughs> we're already here one's in ireland and one's in argentina so i'm gonna try to schedule or try to plan a bike pack trip around those nice yeah Send some, send you some pictures. Please do. Coaching business, continuing work, working hard on that. It's been slowly growing over the years. And, um, it's been a lot of fun. Who knows what else is out there? But I'm, I'm definitely an open. Yeah, I'm definitely at an interesting part of my life right now. Kind of starting over mm-hmm. in many different ways. Yeah, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying just the ride. I guess. Awesome. Well, yeah. that's a, that's a great way to close it. Enjoying the ride. Yeah. Uh, again, can't thank you enough for your time. Awesome. And uh, for your contributions to this community. So thanks for having me on your show. That's fun. Thank you. We're good. Yeah, yeah, we're awesome. Good. You're a good interviewer. Oh, uh, I don't know. I mean, yeah. Yeah, maybe you don't know. I Take feel- it. You're not good with compliments. Take the compliment. Uh, all right. Thanks for listening to a new angle. We really appreciate it. If you enjoy this podcast, there are several ways you can support it. First, rate us on iTunes. Ratings help others find the podcast. Second, write a review. The more reviews we get, and hopefully positive ones, the more we can grow the show. And third, just tell your friends about it. In addition, you can also support A New Angle financially. For information on sponsorship opportunities, please visit our website, www.business.umt.edu slash a new angle. There you will also find a link to donate to the pod. Before we go, I'd like to thank a few folks for making this project happen. First, my colleagues here at the College of Business for supporting this endeavor. In particular, I'd like to thank Professor Josh Herbold for writing and recording music for the show. We also have music provided by Switchback Records, a student-run record label here at the college. 
And thanks to my producer, Stefan Borsum. Finally, if you have any questions, suggestions, comments, insults, whatever, please email me at anewangle at umontana.edu. Help us spread the word and be sure to use the hashtag anewangle on all your various social channels. Thanks a lot and see you next time.